This message is on 1 John chapter 2, 12 to 14, part 1 of 2, growing in our spiritual lives, caring for new believers. Ukula kwa muzimu kwa mkrisitu. Wani Yohane chapter 2, ndi mea 12, pagana 14. Gao loyamba lagao lachuwiri, kutandiza makanda ukula muzimu. This message is presented by Reverend Paul Bucknell and translated into Chichua, the language Malawi, by Reverend Robert Gawande. This advanced discipleship training seminar is held by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Let's begin with part one. It's great to be with you today. I hope you had a good lunch. Amen. Everyone likes to eat. Maybe some of us like to eat too much. When I was down uh, at a recent village, I saw some people having plates. And I looked at the plates and the food on it. And I said, wow, how can they eat all that? <laughs> and, and I saw piles of sima, you know. <laughs> we sure can have an appetite, can't we? God uses that food to help our bodies grow. He uses that food to encourage us and, and to keep us alive. In the same way, God wants to use His Word to keep our spiritual lives alive. There's a lot of different examples God gives us in His Word to help us understand spiritual things. What I'd like to do in the afternoon is use another real-life example to help us understand spiritual things. Jesus was a master at using illustrations. Every parable was taking something what people saw to describe what people could not see. Today we're going to be looking at how God uses a family and our growth in our families. And to teach us a lot of special principles about the invisible growth of our spiritual family. He has a lot to teach us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. There is no name but your name. So great, so glorious. A wonderful Savior. We praise you, O Lord. We invite you in our presence. You're our teacher. Come teach us through your spirit, O You know our lives, our needs, our ministries. Would you please open our eyes, Lord, to these spiritual truths that we could grow in our own lives? 
And perhaps even more important that we could as you want help others grow. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Bless and teach us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Now I'd first like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We have to think about where does spiritual life come from? What I've found out that something that seems so basic such as spiritual life is not well understood at all. Because we don't well understand it we can't communicate it very well. And perhaps we're, we feel frustrated in our own spiritual life. How come I don't grow more? And this becomes even more serious when we look at the flock of God. If God gives them spiritual life, why don't they grow? If God wants them to all succeed, why not in one or two years they grow to big, big plants? Maybe like a papaya tree, you can see the papaya hanging off it. See? But do our churches look like that? No, it's like it's hardly started to grow at some time. And so small, it can easily be crushed by other things. So we really want to look into the spiritual life. And get some essential principles to understand. Now the first thing we need to understand, where does spiritual life come from? So, I like us, as, as I said, um, in First Peter, chapter one, starting with verse twenty-three. He says, "For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God." So let's look carefully. What does it say here? First of all, it's talking about believers. Something happened to this believer. At one point, I was not a Christian. I was born once into the world. I had my mother. Now, I haven't been in Africa very long. But I can guess, at one point, you all had a living mother. <laughs> That's the way people come into this world. Everybody except Adam and Eve. <laughs> and so I can make a good assumption that somewhere you have a mother. At some point, you have a father. What happens in our spiritual life is that we are born, born alive. 
the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and causes us to come alive. And that's why preaching is so important. I became a Christian around 12 or 13 years old. I didn't want to go to church. But my mother told me go to the youth meeting. I didn't want to be at the youth meeting. But I heard the gospel. After the message. He told us all to pray. I didn't want to pray. <laughs> but I bowed my head. I wasn't going to pray. But something happened. All of a sudden I saw myself falling down this deep, deep cliff. I kept falling. I said, what's happening? And then I looked down. Burning fire. Up to that point, I always thought I was a pretty good guy. I was a lot better than my bad brother. But that changed me. When the Spirit of God brings new life into us, He makes us conscious of God's standard. We become aware of our own sin. And that's what happens. Oh, I saw so much sin in my life. Now I knew I would never get away from going to hell. I deserve going there. That doesn't mean I wanted to go there. So I started saying, well, what can I do from not going there? And then, I just remembered. What did I just hear the preacher say? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus you'll have eternal life. Okay, I'll believe. <laughs> I did believe. And at that point, he gave me peace of heart, forgiveness of sin, eternal life. Was I any better? I was the same person. This all happened within one or two minutes. He changed me. He changed my perspective. He changed my relationship with him. Now that example might be a bit extreme. Not everyone's saved like But the same things happen when you are saved. The Spirit of God comes and begins to show you your sin. You begin to seek a savior. And God uses the word of God to bring that conviction into our lives. The spirit of God works with the word of God. And if you want a plant to grow, and it's very dry outside now, right? If you put a plant in the soil, is it going to grow? What do you need? You need water. You need water, and it breaks down the outside shell, the hard part. 
And it allows the inside part to grow up. That's just a picture of our new life. It's something that happens to you. Some people focus a lot on their own faith. It's more accurate to look at your faith as a response of what God's doing in your life. Because when we were born, did you say, I like to come now? No, no, we don't do that. <laughs> It's just something that happens. <laughs> I have eight children. And each time my wife never knows when the baby is going to come. And as a dad, I'm always wondering, hmm, when do I need to be ready? <laughs> I remember one baby that was born on Sunday. There was a wonderful baby. It allowed me to finish my sermon. Then I could go. <laughs> and not all babies are that way. <laughs> so notice you're born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. What that seed? says it's the word of God. Verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. John chapter 3 fills on the other side of this. Here it talks a lot about the Word of God. John 3 talks a lot about the Spirit of God. And so when you put the Spirit of God and the Word of God together, you have lots of new Christians. That's why our ministry has to be rooted in prayer. And faithful preaching of the word of God. Now this doesn't explain why some Christians grow and why other Christians don't grow. But it's important for us to know one thing. Every new life that God plants, God hopes it to grow up. And for this reason, He appointed shepherds to care for the flock. Any plant we put in our garden, we want it to grow so it starts putting off fruit vegetables. I was just getting an email from my wife. She just said back home. And she says the beans are still coming out. <laughs> oh, that's great. Isn't that what we really want for all Christians? But often, 
Kwa makawili kawili we don't we forget the score. Tima yuwala ipetolinga shimenenshi. We want Christians to grow. Tima funa Kristo tukuyakule. But somehow they don't. And when they don't, we get discouraged. We get discouraged. We stop praying. We stop in our fervency in preaching. We forget the power of God's word. So let's go on and look at this family illustration that I earlier talked about. The family situation. Picture. Now, everyone here is at a different stage of life. We, we have some little ones. We have some middle sized ones and we have lots of adults now when we look at this passage from 1 John chapter 2 we'll find three different categories that First John chapter 2 verse 12 to 14 I'm writing to you little children because you sin, your sins are forgiven for you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you children because you know the father. Verse 14, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Three categories. What's the first one? The little children. That's obvious. What's the second group he mentioned? It's actually the fathers. The second group he mentions is the fathers. The third group he mentions, those would be the young men. Three groups, but introduced in an uncommon way. It would be natural to first introduce children according to the growing stage. Or start with respect and start with the fathers and go down. But John, the elder, does it in a totally different way. I want to talk a little more about that tomorrow. But I do want us to look more closely at this passage right now. First of all, we see that he mentions each category two times. 
What he says about each category, each group, is significant. What does he say about the little children? Verse 12, he says, Your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. And the verse 13, he says, I've written to you children because you know the Father. In other words, John, who's grown up, this is the Apostle John, who's grown up so much in his age, so much in his spiritual growth, observes that there's three types of Christians, three stages of Christian growth. Now because he's older, he sometimes uses this phrase, little children or children, to describe all the Christians. You can see him very unstable perhaps. Little children. Uh, you, you might be 50, but to him, you're still little children. And no one objects. But it's clear, clear here in this passage that he's talking about different stages of Christian growth. And the little children talk about new believers. Well, what's the second group he mentions? We say he talks about the father's second. Verse 13, I've written to you, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. The beginning of 14. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. It's interesting. He mentions the same thing. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. And so I looked at my Greek Bible. He said exactly the same thing two times. That's very interesting. What does he say to the young men? The fathers, by the way, describes those who are spiritually mature. Those who have grown up and are bearing fruit. And verse 13, he talks about the young men. I'm writing to you, young men, because you overcome the evil one. Halfway through verse 14, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so what we find here is that these describe those Christians that are between the young, very young new believers. And those that are spiritually mature. Those would be the young men. 
And we'll spend more time looking at that. That group is essential for us to identify and know how to help them grow. But today I want to talk more about the new believer. I want us to understand what do we do with the new believer? I know a lot of us are zealous in preaching the gospel. So we'll go to a certain place. And we'll start preaching. Until people come to know the Lord. That's wonderful. Then we go on. Then we're out to preach the gospel. But what about the new babies? What do we do with the new believers? What do we do in our earthly family experience? I find that we spend a lot of time caring for a new baby. We're just so excited. And we talk hours about what name we'll give the baby. Or I heard sometimes your parents might give the name. What's the name of this one? This guy is really good. He knows all his children's names and birthdays. (laughs) He told me last night, one by one. All six. But then, you know, the name is, is so important. And we make a, n- a nice special place for the baby. But what about new believers? We're so excited. Five came to know the Lord. Two families over there came to know the Lord. And what did you tell them? Well, if there's a church nearby, come to church. Sit at church. Be good. Pray. Is that what we should tell them? What does our elder John say about caring for these new believers? Most of us know when a baby is born. We need to do something for that baby. If it doesn't, that baby is going to cry and cry. You know what that is? Feed the baby. And that satisfies the baby. God gave, gave that baby an appetite. And so the mom provides for that baby. It's a wonderful picture. But I find that many pastors don't know how to feed the baby. We want to look closely at this right here. Because John is identifying special needs of these spiritual Christians. We'll first look at verse 12. 
He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What is he telling him? He's talking about these new Christians. That their sins are forgiven. <laughs> this evidently is an essential thing for a new Christian to know. In fact, this will be the first of three things that new Christians need to know. And if they don't know, they're going to stumble. It's not so much that these things are hard to tell, but we perhaps don't remember to tell them. We assume coming to church, they'll just know those things. But you ever notice? A baby can't walk. We go to them. And we stay with them. I was noticing some chickens in the yard. There was a mom chicken. <laughs> and around it was like five or six little chickies. The mother would go over here. And the little babies go. <laughs> Always stay with the mom. My wow. Of course, if the mother went over there, my capilla poderoco, the little chicky. <laughs> Do you understand? Yeah. They stay together, close together. It has to be a special dedication of the pastor to care for those that are around him. What's the difference between a young baby chick? and an older little chick. I saw one of those too. It wasn't like the mother. It was going all by itself, here and there. They didn't seem to care where the mother hen was. At a certain stage, that changes. I know my wife wanted to do uh, a lot of Christian service in the church. But, you know, a baby came every two years. And so she really only could do a little bit. It's the prioritizing of the new baby. Everyone understands. No one has a problem. That's what a mother's made for. Care for that baby. But why don't we spend special focused time with the new believers? So the first thing we learned that we need to train them. Their sins are forgiven. Forgiven. Now, why is this so important? We often find 
that a new believer has not learned how to discern Satan's voice and God's voice. And that Christian, that new Christian, always tries to read his Bible and pray. That's a, that's a sign of new life. And so they're very eager to learn and grow. Now God made it that way so they can get the essential nutrition early on. Going to church usually never does that. But forgiveness goes like this. So the earnest, the new Christians trying to do good. They've seen change in their lives. And uh, they're trying to stop lying. But then maybe they get very angry. And they feel terrible. And they don't know what to do. They're kind of ashamed. I was very mean to somebody. What am I going to do? And Satan comes by. You're no good. You think you're a Christian. No Look at you. Christians don't get angry like that. And the new Christians listen well, maybe they try hard again. But then they get upset again. And Satan comes back again. You're no good. You better stay away from that church. You will never be as good as they are. Now, as a pastor, you see them eagerly reading the Word of God. You see they're the most faithful coming to the services. But in your mind, when this truth is not there, they only can believe this, that I'm not good enough. And they believe Satan's word. And they slowly start distancing themselves. And they give up on themselves. So the pastors have to somehow, and not just pastors, other Christians, enter into these Christians' lives. To make sure, one, they know these truths. And they apply them. I'll come back to that in a little bit. I want to come on to the next truth we need to teach. They are all related. He says, your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. Now, of course, that's talking about Jesus. Because of Jesus, his sins are forgiven. See, what happens often is a Christian, a new Christian, has confidence and very strong when they're doing well. 
But they don't know on which basis their sins are forgiven. I know we teach them because you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. But the same thing is true after they believe. It is through your faith that you come to Jesus continually for cleansing. So we need to train them in how to get forgiveness through Jesus. Let's look at a few verses just before that. 1 John 1 8 or 1 9. It says in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now is he talking about a person coming to know the Lord here? It doesn't seem to at all. In verse 5 he says this is the message we've heard. In verse 3 he's talking about this is the fellowship we have. He's talking to people who already are part of the church body. And he's telling us the importance of confessing or telling out our sins. Okay, what does he say here? If we tell or confess our sins, if we come to agree that our sins are wrong, He, God is faithful to and righteous to cleanse and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's notice another verse. Verse two, chapter two, verse one. And my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so what we need to do is tell them, confess your sins. Your acceptance with God is not going to be because you did well today. No, because I, none of us will do that well. Instead, we have a practice of confessing when we do wrong. We go to God who is faithful and righteous. And we tell Him what wrong we did. And because of Jesus, he forgives us. 
He cleanses and restores our relationship with God. So the new believer needs to know about forgiveness. God wants to bring that Christian close to him. Satan will tell them to get away from God. You can be sure the reason God has called us to give special attention to new believers is because they are prone to attacks from the evil one. And so you will always keep a special eye on the little ones. Because if something wrong happens, it can affect them the rest of their life. They don't have that guard. We have to be that guard. So that guard is essentially bringing different truths into that new believer's life. Let's look at the third truth and then we'll bring it all together. Now this is mentioned in the, the other um, later on in verse 13. So now this is the end of I've written to, at the end of verse 13. I've written to you children because you know the Father. They know the Father. Now this is a basic spiritual truth we all know. When you're born again, you're born into God's family. Being born into God's family means this. That you have a relationship with your heavenly father. Nothing's going to stop that. Once you're part of his family, you're always part of his family. Now, even in the worst situations on earth, where the father does not like the son and he wants to disown him he can disown him but he's still a son once we're in God's family we're always in God's family there's two truths here this is the first one we have that close and intimacy with God our Father forever. And every Christian should be know that truth and be in their heart. I might have been a naughty boy today. I might have fought with my brother. But I know there's still supper there because my dad's caring for me. Some of us don't have good fathers. Some of us have fathers that are distant from us. From early on, my father really never came and talked much to me. I grew up just with my father being rather distant. 
Otherwise, he was a good dad. But even to today, he doesn't call me. He likes it when I call him. But if I took that father-son image into my spiritual life, when am I going to think about God? God is my heavenly father. God's not going to talk to me. I can tell him my request, but that's as far as it goes. But what we learn about God the Father is through Jesus the Son who regularly talks to the Father the Father talks to Him and there was a close intimate relationship in my life I had to work hard at building up my relationship and thoughts about my dad in fact, I realized if I couldn't restore and make a good relationship with my dad, I couldn't really have a good relationship with God in heaven. There would be some thoughts there would block me from understanding him. That's another story. I won't go into that right now. But for the new believer, to know that they are always accepted. So what if a new believer does something wrong? They didn't come to church for some reason. Maybe as a pastor stopped criticizing them. Why didn't you come to church? Inside, they might feel this way. Yeah, maybe I don't belong to God's church. They have feelings of rejection. Remember, they cannot discern between God's voice and Satan's voice very clearly at all. So they'll come to these conclusions and accept them. Yeah, maybe I'm not good enough for God. These things are all related in one way, aren't they? They all have to do with how a new believer thinks about God, the church, and his people. But what John has given us is special tools, truths, to help make these new believers very secure. And so what a baby needs is not a yell because he's crying. It should be a reminder that we need to feed the baby. And so we should look, how can I better feed those sheep? So let me ask right now, what do you do for a new believer? 
What did you do? Now this is a real test. Remember pastor you told me about that verse in 1 John 1.9? I memorized it. And when I felt so bad about myself. And I wasn't going to come to Wednesday night meeting. But after I prayed. I told him I was sorry. And I asked him to cleanse me through Christ's blood. And I felt everything was good. Okay. That's where we want all the new believers to come to. Now if they do not come that far, and sometimes they don't. Remember the, the new baby? Eats the same thing day after day. <laughs> Maybe you feed the baby five times a day. <laughs> well, don't be afraid of just gently telling them again and again. Don't get critical. You see, sometimes a pastor gets in his mind. I'm in charge of the church. Everybody's supposed to listen to me. That doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> But they think because of their command that people will respond. The opposite is true. Not the command, not the authoritative voice, but the gentle teaching. How are you doing? How'd it go this week? And be specific. You remember that trouble I talked about? Did Satan come by at all? And you probably say, yeah, he did. How did they respond? And you work with them. So let's go back. So I want you to know the whole process, okay? After two or three times that they have learned to respond rightly to that accusation from the evil one, they probably have begun to learn and take these truths in themselves. But we have to equip them. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And so you have to ask each of these groups, how do I feed these sheep? These are the new believers. How do I take care of the new believers? Really, Lord, these are your new believers. You brought them into this life. I don't know how to care for them. That's a good confession for us pastors sometimes. 
Look to him, our father, how to care for these little sheep. Baby lambs. Let me give some suggestions. First of all, I would encourage you pastors in different areas meet together and talk about it. Strategize. How, how are we caring for the new believers? According to this standard, what can we be doing? As you get together, you can discuss. And you'll probably come up with some good ideas with each other. This is no time for a senior pastor to get prideful and say, I have all the answers. It would be wiser for the senior pastor to encourage the other ones to give their opinions. And bring everything to a consensus, a good conclusion. And so, what we could do is have a lesson. Perhaps on what forgiveness is. Now, I think you know probably you could do that. But make sure you do it in such a way that a new believer will understand it. I usually use a very basic illustration. Say, my brother asked me for a hundred quaches. Here, sure, no problem. And he says, I'll give it back to you next week. Fine. He has a financial burden debt to me right now. He owes me something. Now I have the privilege of just saying, Brother, you don't have to pay me back. If I say that, does he have to pay me back? No, that's forgiveness. A simple illustration. Now for a new Christian, you can tell him that God has told us to love one another. To love God. Whenever we fail, there's a debt toward God. We also owe someone else something. I spoke angrily with him yesterday. God told me to love him. So I owe him some love. Now, I have to train the new Christian. Confess your sins to God. Through Jesus, he'll forgive and restore that relationship. But with one another, I also need to restore that relationship. Brother, you know I shouldn't have got angry with you yesterday. I should have loved you. You're my brother. Will you please forgive me? Yeah. Is it? When you teach a new believer how to reconcile with God, 
Mugampunzisa kanga lau zimuri menangato kuyenda ni anso jimurungu and reconcile with one another. They're going to expect everyone in the congregation to do that. The other people might not be doing it. It's hard for old people to change. We got a pride as high as the highest tower around here. We have elders that never learn how to apologize in their whole life. And forgiveness. It's simple. So you tell the new believer, go to your father like 1 John 1 9 and confess. Now you will give them an example. Something like what we just did. For example, if you, if it's a young person, if you lie against your parents, you need to go through 1 John 1 9. So that's, that's a teaching for forgiveness. And it's so important. It is not easy to change older Christians. But when you start working with these new believers, you will slowly make a new congregation. By God's mercy, the older will learn from the younger. But for that, it's very hard. But the pastor can lead the way. Let me give you an example at me as a father. I have eight children. So sometimes I hear the children quarreling among themselves. I usually wait a couple minutes. Until maybe one's crying or something. I figured they have not solved this one by themselves. Ah, they need daddy's or mommy's attention. Say three of them are in the room. I call all three in. The tallest, youngest now. <laughs> Sometimes I have five or six lined up. <laughs> the first thing I do, I ask them, tell me what you did wrong. I do not allow them to tell what others did wrong. So first thing, if you did wrong, raise your hand. What do you think the response is? <laughs> we all have pride, don't we? But eventually they get it up. And I start with the oldest. Tell me what you did wrong. Well, then they begin telling me. Most of the times they tell me the whole story. 
Sometimes they don't. But usually when I get around to the final children, the full truth comes out. <laughs> so I go back to this person. Did you tell me the whole truth? Well, no. <laughs> Each one confesses. And then, I ask them to apologize to each other. Our oldest will turn to the next one, they offended. I shouldn't have provoked you and done wrong. Will you forgive me? And then he does it to me. We talk and we hug. And so the relationship is perfect now. No more bitterness. They go off plain. It's just that quick and that easy. A lot of problems in our church could be solved that quick and that easy. But we have not done well. We haven't taught about confession. If we don't confess, what happens? It says in the Lord's Prayer, If you do not forgive one another, I will not forgive you. What? What does that mean? Does it mean I'm not saved? No. It has to do with the example of a father and a son. If the son does something wrong, that son's going to avoid the father. He doesn't want to be found out. So he avoids them. Right? Yeah. Forgiveness, the son goes up to the father. Dad, I did something wrong. I broke that window over there. I'm sorry. Now there might be some repercussions. He might be afraid of getting spanked or whipped. Maybe. Maybe the son made a foolish decision. The father already told him, don't play with rocks near the window. So there's some discipline. But what we find is that there's a restoration of that relationship. And so instead of that new Christian staying away from God because of guilt, he learns how to restore his relationship with God. You see how it's all working together? Now that new believer can grow. And those essential areas where they're prone to fall, Things 
they're actually learning to be pretty strong. And soon that little baby is almost ready to walk. They're just waiting. Now I've shared a lot here. I wonder if you have any questions about this. Or any situations you've seen in your church or another church. That you want me to comment on. If so, could you just maybe raise your hand? Oh, now she has sent it into a question. She says, you have got, there is a price between you and your friend. And you are trying to reconcile, you are trying to bring reconciliation. But the other part is not really there. How can you soak this in? Okay, uh, this question is not directly related to what we've been talking about. Uh, but uh, I'll answer it some. This process of reconciliation is so important. Basically, the first thing we do is to pray. The Lord tells us that we should forgive one another. And so we need to take the first step forward. Often we want the other person to take the first step. And so you have one prideful person and another prideful person. And Satan keeps a wall between them. We cannot always perfectly heal every relationship. But we can always do our part in healing it. I would first, in prayer, bring the relationship between the Lord. Sometimes it's a husband wife. Sometimes it's within the body of Christ. If it's a husband and wife, the Lord says the two are one. If it's brother and brother or sister and sister, He says there's one body. And so you know, any type of bitterness or wall is definitely of the evil one. Now the first thing is, as I said, we prayerfully bring that relationship, that person and me, before the Lord in prayer. And try to think, Lord, can you help me understand anything I might have done to offend that person? 
ambwezi tanzi zeni mjuru lile shimeni ndamla kwila nzanda ujashimeni ndashi chita we do our best ndia mtime sesa mbali hatu and if the lord says something follow through and prayerfully and humbly do that don't expect the other person to respond and say oh would you also forgive me just focus on your part what I did wrong and share that let me give a husband wife situation. Say uh, a husband spoke rudely to the wife. And the wife got upset. Said something bad to the husband. Now maybe the husband's too prideful to apologize. But if you're the wife, you still did wrong. And you go and apologize. And you can say it like this. Remember, no accusing. Okay. Accusing is the evil one's way of talking. Husband. Remember the other day? I got upset with you. I should have talked quietly. I didn't want to hear you. Would you forgive me for responding wrongly? Now sometimes the husband will say, I'll forgive you. If you're not brought up in that pattern, that habit, he will not know about forgiving. Sometimes they say it's not important whether I forgive. You can try and teach him a little bit. It is important to me. Because I did wrong against you and I shouldn't have. And whether he verbalizes forgiveness or not, you have confessed your sin. And When you've done that, it allows God to work more clearly in your the other person's life. I can't say how long it will take. All I can say is Jesus was patient with those who were accusing him of wrong. And that's our example. I'll, I'll stop there. Are there any other questions? Try to keep it related to this issue of new believers. Any comments or Open in our churches, we receive new convents. 
When we think about the church situation, I think it's ideal if it's not just a pastor following up these new believers. The pastor has a lot of things to do. Our church, for example, we might have a big evangelism meeting. We have a lot of students from mainland China. And maybe 30 of them go forward. What's the pastor going to do? <laughs> I mean, he has lots of things to do. But do you know what else we have? We have many people who have gone through basic training. How to care for those new believers. I think they have like five lessons, five assurances it's called. And what happens is other believers who went through that less, those courses before, will go down the same time the new believers are going down. And boy, boy, woman, woman, they'll match up. And they'll make arrangement to meet five times with those people. And this is the way we follow up. But it starts, I would focus on like that one to one relationship. Because once you have two or three, one might not show up. Or another one too shy to share what happened in the week. It's not the same. And so just like that mother-child relationship, it's very intimate. We start with one-to-one. 
Ndilo tima yamba mozi ndi mozi. But of course if you're training others, you're got to give them some sense of passion for this. You got to help them to understand how to ask them politely the other person how their week's been going. In Matthew 28 it says this. Matthew 28 the Bible recorded verses 18 to 20. Go into all the world. Making disciples. You're preaching, you're baptizing. You're teaching them all that I commanded you. And you're reminding them that I'm with you till the end of the age. Until the end of the age. That's security. With a baptism you're talking about evangelism. But that discipling focus is all those commands. If we're going to build a good foundation, then we need to start with these truths for a new believer. And the book of Hebrews it talks about the milk of the word. Meat will come later on. Right now there's no teeth. <laughs> Just milk. And so if you can share and, and through your example share some of your failures with a new believer. And those people you're training will learn that oh yeah I could share about stories how I failed too. And they can then learn also how to share and talk with another person. And so we have a, a, a real way of building up these believers. And so the final goal you tell those people you're training. When they can bring out those certain verses. And apply it to their situation. And they are being fed. Now I'm not saying that this is the only thing you teach new believers. But it's critical that we do teach these things. I hope that answers a little bit.
Yeah. 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 And you find out that that person whom you are trying to disciple doesn't come to the church regularly. Mm-hmm. When you try to follow him up, he says, ah, there's no reason. But you are feeling discomfort in your heart. Mm-hmm. That there might be something, but he doesn't disclose that thing. That's a very good question. This, this is exactly why I'm talking about this. One of the questions is, how quick do you get that truth to that new believer? It might be that what you need to do is develop little booklets. And uh, end your evangelism crusade a little earlier. Those people that come to know the Lord. Bring them into a room. And have different people talking to them. Going over those basic truths. There can be two answers to your question. What I just said was based on one problem. That we're not quick enough getting those truths to that new believer. They already believe they're not good enough to be a Christian. And what you say now, hard for them to hear. They already gave up on themselves. So while everyone else is singing and dancing outside, you have a great team that goes in and works for those new believers. When that baby is born, they can start crying pretty quick. They say, first thing you should do is feed them right away. And that helps the mother. <laughs> Physically, there's help in the mother. And it helps the baby. If we do that, it's going to help the church, it's going to help the new believer. So one reason is that that person has not received those truths early on enough. And so already confused by the evil one. The, the second reason is actually they're not a believer at all. Yeah. That's okay. Sometimes I sit down and talk to people, maybe want to be baptized. And I can tell them, you know, I'm glad you're so interested. But there's something missing here. And I try to identify, let's see, these things happen when you become a believer. A love for God's word. You're in God's family, you want to talk to your father. You're in a family, you want to meet with others. Why isn't that there? Maybe there's no real new life. So I would go through back to see whether they're a new believer. Sometimes we want new believers so much 
You say if they raise their hand, you say they have eternal life. Where does it say raise your hand and you have eternal life? It doesn't. It says believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll have eternal life. So when we're first talking to them, we can ask them, do you sense, you know, why, why are you coming to Jesus? See if there's any conviction of their sin. If they find that there's that conviction, and the Spirit's prompting them to believe in Jesus. And you work through that one. I would say that, that kind of diagnosis, either that or this problem. Well, thank you so much. You have some good questions. Our time is up. We've talked a lot about what God does bringing people into the kingdom of God. If you were here this morning, you would have learned what kind of success God wants for every Christian. And if you as a pastor are thinking about your congregation, you're going to have to start thinking about your congregation. Is that a new believer? Well, that person's been attending two years. Where is he at? Tomorrow afternoon, we'll talk more about this and you'll get a whole picture. We have some real important things to share tomorrow afternoon. But praise God, he's brought us into his family. Remember the disciples went out evangelizing, saying all these great things that happened. They came back. Remember what Jesus said to them? Yeah, you can tell me all those great things. That's not so important. What did he say? Be glad your name is written in the book of life. Be glad you're in God's family. There's nothing like that. But even that is minutes. We have a wonderful Lord. Our God sacrifices son so we can be in his family. But let us be more diligent in caring for those babies. There's orphans all over the land. Is it possible there's spiritual orphans all over also? Because we have not faithfully fed the sheep. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We know we've failed you in some ways. And we might not want to come even to you right now. But you're not trying so much to reprimand us. And make us run away. 
But you just want us to teach us the truth. And help us come back. That the full spirit of the Lord would be upon us. That the spirit of the Lord would be upon us. That we'll be strengthened and encouraged. Lord, sometimes we look at some people in our church. We don't have faith for them. We've given up hope on them. Would you please restore our hope, Lord? And again, start praying for them. Start feeding them. Start making sure everyone gets what they need, Lord, from your word. Lastly, we thank you for us being called into your family. We know it's not because we would have a great ministry. It's not because we're good people. Because you chose us and brought us into your family. You appointed someone to preach the word of God to us. And the spirit of God brought that new life. We thank you, Lord, for being part of your family. You want us close. So destroy all those seeds of bitterness and offense in our midst. That we indeed could experience your peace and harmony. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. This concludes the message on 1 John 2, 12-14, Growing in Our Spiritual Lives, Part 1. Presented by Rev. Paul Bucknell and translated into Chichua by Rev. Robert Gawande. Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Mighty Lord.